Our scripture reading today comes from the prophet Amos, and I invite you to read along with me in your Bible or in our bulletin. Hear these words from Amos chapter 7. This is what the Lord God showed me. He was forming locusts at the time the latter growth began to sprout. It was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. The Lord God was calling for judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with the plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the temple shall become wailings on that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thank you to Connor for such an uplifting passage this morning. <laughs> just messing. I chose it, so sorry, Connor. Um, two weeks ago, I had a dream. Uh, this sanctuary was filled with people I'd never met before, like people standing in the aisles and everywhere, sitting on the floor. It was packed, uh, but I had nothing prepared. <laughs> So I ran into the choir loft right, right up here and sat down on the floor so nobody could see me, uh, and I cried. Um, and at th- that point, Adair uh, woke me up because I was snoring, uh, which I'm glad she did, because <laughs> uh, that, that was not my favorite dream I've ever had. That's what I like to call a stress dream, and I don't know if you've had that. I'm sure every job or career has dreams like that that have to do with the worst possible thing you could imagine happening at your job. The funny thing is, I really don't dream that often, or I'm told, at least, I don't remember my dreams that often. I really don't. So a few years ago, I heard that in order, in an effort to remember what it is I dream when I'm asleep, uh, somebody told me, you have to write it down immediately. You have to, even if you're still half asleep, you got to get up and just write down whatever you can, and then you can go back to sleep. Um, So that's what I did. And over the course of a few weeks, whenever I woke up, I wrote down everything I could remember of the dream world. Um, None of it made any sense at all. Uh, But just here are some greatest hits that I wrote down. Um, In one dream, Kermit the Frog helped me load laundry from the washer into the freezer, uh, all the while while telling me this is exactly what you're supposed to do. Um, I got into a, a conversation with Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN analyst, 
in the Costco frozen food section about theology. Um, I also boarded an elevator with a bunch of people that was operated by Julia Roberts. So weird things you write down. I don't know. Uh, those are real, by the way. And I'm sure you've had weird dreams like that that are wild, imaginative, that make no sense. I asked a buddy of mine if he had one like that, and he said, yeah, I turned on the lights, and Bruce Springsteen was in my sock drawer stealing all of my good socks. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, It seems that we all have these weird dreams that don't seem to mean anything and are largely left forgotten. Of course, there's always a friend or family member that you have that manages to interpret some sort of meaning out of the weirdness, right? Someone who says, well, maybe... Maybe Bruce represents nostalgia, stealing your present, or Kermit maybe represents your faith, and the washer uh, is your fear of the future. (laughs) And maybe those are accurate, I don't know. But honestly, I've never tried to interpret many. I just find them to be pretty wacky, pretty weird, wild. And I love the prophets in the Old Testament because they remind me uh, that when it comes to that kind of thing, when it comes to weird dreams, I'm, I'm not the only one. They all have weird dreams, visions, and they go to great lengths to interpret them. And Amos is one of those prophets. Amos, who was a shepherd, he was also a farmer from the south. Remember the north, kingdom of Israel, and the south, they had split. So the northern was Israel, southern was Judah. And Amos lived right on the border of that divide. And the north was ruled by Jeroboam which is, I think, a name we should consider uh, for baby chapel, I dare. Um, let's put that on the list. Here are some important things to know about Jeroboam, though. He was the king of Israel, and he had policies that made the north incredibly wealthy, but those policies came at a cost, at an ethical and moral cost. Amos says about Israel and Jeroboam's time in the office, this is what he says, you are selling people into debt slavery, You are grinding the poor into the dirt. You are using people for selfish gain. You are worshiping idols. You are sitting around brutally gaining wealth off the backs of the poor. How can you say that you follow Yahweh, the Almighty, when you put people into the very slavery from which our people were given freedom so long ago? We were slaves, he says, and we were freed by the Almighty God. And yet here you are doing the same thing. And this isn't that different, actually, from what we talked about in Micah in August, is it? Do you remember God's requirement in Micah to do justice, to love, kindness, mercy, and walk humbly with God? Why is that a requirement? Because there was great injustice. Because there was no kindness. There was no mercy. And there was arrogance, humility had fallen away. And like Micah, Amos goes to call it out in order, Amos says, that justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And Amos says to the people in charge, because of such injustice, the day of the Lord is coming and God will wipe out injustice. It's interesting, the people of Israel, they've they've always expected the day of the Lord. They've been waiting for years for this day when all their enemies will be judged. And Amos addresses that. The enemies, God says, will meet justice. Trust me. But what Israel is not prepared for is that they will meet justice too. (laughs) In fact, we learn that because 
they have professed to be ones who carry God's banner of justice and mercy, they are to be held more accountable than their neighbors, more accountable than their enemies. Andy Stanley, the pastor at North Point Church, will say this often to his church when he's preaching, most Sundays when he's preaching. He gets to a hard part of Scripture a hard requirement of Jesus, or Sermon on the Mount, a new commandment, and he'll often say to the room, now if you're not a Christian, don't worry about the next part. (laughs) This is the extra mile for people who follow Jesus. You don't have to do this if you don't follow Jesus. This is just for those of us who have committed to that path. And Amos is doing something similar here, and he says, because you have committed to that higher standard, God will hold you to it. You will be held accountable, more accountable than those who don't subscribe to that path. And how does God share this message of accountability? He gives Amos dreams, weird dreams, wild dreams, dreams of the incoming justice. Some of them are easy to understand. Fire and locusts, that's not hard to understand. But some are not. In fact, I'd argue that his fourth vision is about as odd as Kermit doing the laundry. God gives Amos a dream, a vision, and asks Amos, what do you see? And Amos says, I see a bowl of fresh, ripe fruit. And God says, you're done. The end. (laughs) That's it. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, God. How does, by the way, how does a fresh bowl of bananas and apples and oranges mean that the end is near? It doesn't make sense. Well, friends, in in the Hebrew... Language, the word for fruit bowl is kaitz, and the word for the end is kits. So, in a way that doesn't really translate to English, this is wordplay. It's a pun. It's a really, it's a real sick burn. Uh, all of it, all of a sudden, the, the senseless dream makes sense. It would kind of be like, and this is this was my first run at rhyming. Uh, it would kind of like be like saying, "You see the golden days, I see the end of your ways." It's just a simple rhyme. You see glee. Judgment is my decree. It's just, it's just a rhyming scheme. Fresh bowl of fruit, the end. So Amos sees this dream, this vision, and in it God declares to Israel, you become an overripe bowl of fruit. You are not what I intended. You have forgotten who you were. You walk on the weak. You treat people like objects. So I'm not going to stand for it. That's it. And through Amos, through dreams, the people of Israel see who they are, who they become, and it's not good. But, and I love this about God, God doesn't leave it there. The end is never the end. Destruction never has the last word. Death never really has time to do a victory lap. He gives Amos another dream, another vision. And this time, you don't need Hebrew to understand what he's talking about. You don't need to interpret what's happening. Listen, this is the next stream at the very end of Amos, chapter 9. But also on that day, I will restore this house. (laughs) The one that has fallen to pieces. I'll repair the holes in the roof. I'll replace the broken windows. I will fix it up like new. The people will be strong again. It won't be long now. I'll make everything right again for my people. The house of David will be rebuilt, and Israel will once again be the people I intended them to be. For the first eight chapters, Amos gives us image after image, dream after dream of what Israel is and what they've become. 
And he's not shy about the consequences. But at the very end, we're given a vision of what could be, what the people could look like, what we could look like, and apparently what we will look like. Amos doesn't tell us how to get there. We're not told what needs to happen in order to get to that point. We're not told who to expect in our path. But we're given a dream of what it'll look like. And it looks a lot like home repair. It looks a lot like patching walls and shingling a roof, replacing rotten wood with new beams. And do you know the cool thing to me about Amos' dream? All of a sudden, the people of Israel have a direction. They have a direction. Andy Stanley, again, he says, he says this. This is one of my favorites of his. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Your direction determines your destination. And in Amos' dream, God gives the people something to shoot for, a future to aim at. God defines the future hope so that these folks might start taking a step or two in that direction. They won't get there tomorrow, but with each step, each day, they might be a little closer to that great vision in the future of a house rebuilt. And if they keep stepping forth in that direction, God says that one day they will certainly find themselves at a new destination. It's a vision. It's a dream of restoration, of redemption, and it's a dream of resurrection. Hal Brady is a retired Methodist pastor. He's often in here worshiping with us. He reminded me this week of a story of Barbara Brown Taylor in her book, The Preaching Life. Barbara Brown Taylor is a pastor, and she tells of a time when she went to a nearby nursing home. She went to preach one Sunday, and as she started to preach, she could tell that the small crowd was a little restless. <laughs> they weren't really paying attention. They might have thought that this pastor couldn't really speak to their context. I don't know. They had a lot to talk about, so they spent most of the time not listening until the pastor had it. <laughs> and so she just clapped her hands until it was silent. The noise died down. And she, she asked her friends, friends, if, if you aren't going to listen, then let me ask you this. What do you want me to preach about today? What scripture would you like me to read? And from the back, the voice of a woman said these words, tell us a resurrection story. And then it was still. And from the stillness, the people started shaking their heads in agreement. And one person after another, yes, another yes, pastor, another yes. We need desperately to hear a resurrection story. What are they asking for? They're asking for a future and a hope. They're asking for a vision and a dream, something to aim their lives at. They're asking for a direction that will lead them to a destination, a story of life after death, of restoration after destruction. Pastor, we need to hear a resurrection story. <laughs> Me too. I need to hear that too. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, 
when I've got a moment to reflect, I sometimes feel a certain, like a spiritual weariness. Looking around at the world and it divides, I feel weary of destruction and hardship and tragedy. Maybe you feel the same way. Perhaps you're weary right now of an illness or some stress. Maybe you're weary of new responsibilities or uncertainty. This community has a little bit of weariness in recent days because we've lost friends and saints in the last few months. And there's a little bit of a weariness. And if we're not careful, that weariness can lead us into a direction of despair and darkness. If we're not careful, we can forget that we are a people who are meant to dream, to aim our lives at a future and to hope and trust that new life is coming. And that's why hearing from ministries like Wellroot does me good. It does my heart so good to hear that as a connection, as a church, we're helping to aim children toward new life. We're helping families patch some holes and fix some windows, pointing them toward a dream of wholeness and restoration. Friends, that's a resurrection story I need to hear right now. That's why I love seeing groceries on the altar. Because it says to me that I serve alongside folks in this church who aren't willing to let folks in their community go without necessities. You don't want people to feel hopeless and without. You want to point them toward life. And friends, that's a resurrection story that I need to hear this morning. Resurrection stories, they're all around us. We just need to keep our eyes open. And if we can do that, God will show us a way and a future a direction and a destination, and that destination is filled with resurrection. So friends, may you keep your ear out for stories like that, stories of new life. May you have visions and dream dreams that point to a future of resurrection. May you know that the prophets of old dreamed of a future in which God would rebuild this house. And may you know that rebuilding that house looks a lot less like construction work, and more like a man coming to earth, sharing love and grace, being nailed to a cross, and against all odds, finding resurrection not too long after. May you hear that good news today, and may you aim your lives at that good news each day. Let us pray. God, this morning we gather together and confess to you that we are in desperate need of hearing a resurrection story, O oh God. We look around the world, we look at our lives, we look at conflict and hurt and tragedy and divide, and we confess to you that we need you to come and fix this house. God, may we remember the words of your prophet. May we remember the vision you deliver in chapter 9 of the book of Amos, that you are in the business of restoration, of redemption, and resurrection. And God, I pray that you would lead each of us this week to hear a resurrection story that we desperately need to hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.